I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos one episode at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, this project, and what it's all about, please spread the word. Share this episode or your favorite one with one new person. That's all it takes. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, at Potabang. And if you're up for it, you can support the show by visiting glow.fm slash Potabang. To play in the next trivia show for a chance to win swag, guest on the pod, or just secure permanent bragging rights, DM at Potabang on Instagram. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is a chat I had with Maureen Van Zant. Maureen played Gabby Dante, Silvio's wife, on the show. Maureen called in to share insights on her soprano story, the character she played, the many ways to think about the ending, and her relationship with Stephen Van Zant, and all the many ways they support the arts together. Special thanks to Maureen for making time for this. Excited to share it with you. So here it is, my chat with Maureen Van Zant. Maureen, thank you for being part of the podcast. Happy to be here. So where did you grow up and what were you doing before The Sopranos? Was there any life before Sopranos? Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was born in East Orange, New Jersey, grew up mostly in Newark, very Italian-American Catholic school background. Um, I studied dance from when I was quite young. I appeared on Broadway when I was a little girl. And, um, and then after that started concentrating on ballet and that's kind of what my childhood was like. Pretty, pretty normal childhood Jersey shore in the summer and all that stuff. Jersey shore this summer. As well? No, no. In the summers, when I was at no, not anymore. No, when I was a kid, that, that's what we did. It was it was very uh, Newark type thing to do. Sure. We'd all escape for the summer to to go to, to the shore. And um, I I moved to New York in seventy um, one, I believe, and I've I've been here since then. I went to performing arts high school. Um, I don't know what else. Uh, there's a lot of stuff before the show. I I um as a career as a dancer, really. Context is always a nice place to start. Getting closer to The Sopranos, how did you and your husband, Stephen, meet? We met, um, I have, we had a mutual friend. He was my best friend's boyfriend from when she was a teenager. And he was on a softball team with Bruce and Stephen and a bunch of the band guys. And he kept saying to me, oh, you have to come to this game in, in New Jersey. And I thought, oh, I live in New York. I don't want to come to New Jersey. But he kind of, talked me in so I, I went to the softball game and that's really where I met Stephen for the first time but it was very brief I, I, I really think the real meeting was when they played the bottom line in 1975 they did 10 very historic shows there and uh, and that's kind of where we really first started to start talking mm. so I, I, I kind of I considered that the first meeting really because the first one was really brief so 
you and Stephen are married and you're a couple in real life and you also became a husband and wife duo on the show. How did that happen? What's the Sopranos origin story from your point of view? Okay, well, you know, as you know, Stephen was already on the show from the very first episode. At the end of the first season, there was a, a um, I guess it was a wrap dinner celebration or whatever. It may have actually been the premiere of, of the first season. I can't remember which, but it was, it was at a, a restaurant. It was very small on that level because it was the first season. And um, George M. Walken, who was the casting director, approached me and, and she said um, that Silvio already had a wife in the first season, but she didn't really have any dialogue and wasn't seen very much. And they wanted to replace her. And she knew that I had been acting. I had a theater company previous to being in the show. And I also had uh, studied acting alongside Paul Schulze, who played Father Phil. Hmm. And I guess through through him, she found out that I was an okay actress. And she said, would I like to come in and audition? So I, I thought, well, this might be kind of strange. I, I don't know if it's a good idea. I spoke to Stephen. He said, go for it. And uh, and that, that was it. I went in and I auditioned. There were, there were a lot of women there. Um, I remember at the audition, they all, all looked very much more Italian than I do, even though I, I am. So I thought I have no shot at getting this part. And I, I kind of went in. I tried to just have fun with it and, and uh, was very shocked, honestly, when, when they told me that, that I had it. Well, then after that, I had to go up in front of uh, um, David Chase and the writers and, you know, all of the, you know, the behind the scenes people and do an audition. They, they got down to four of us in the end and we all had to go in front of all of the, uh, the big shots. And but it was also, you know, a, a lot of other people that, that were not it weren't network people. They were actually the real show people. Yeah. Uh, who ran the show and, and made everything work. So it was, it was, it was kind of daunting, but again, I didn't think I had a chance. So I just, I just did it and thought whatever happens is meant to happen. Sure. So you appeared ultimately in 28 episodes across five seasons, pretty much one third of the show. Um, I know you're going to go down memory lane and it was a long time ago, but what did you love most about that experience looking back? Well, I'm, I think really it was, just an honor to be on a show that was so critically acclaimed and, and people loved it. And, and um, to be able to say dialogue that was written by some of the best writers that, that I've ever heard of in my life, you know, I just thought everything was on a very, very high quality level. And, and I was really so happy to be involved in something like that. And, and also it, it brought me back to my, my roots. You know, I was a Jersey girl. I grew up around these same kind of people who were in the show. So it, it kind of felt like home to me in a way. You mentioned a theater background, and I think you're still very much involved in, in theater arts. Um, yeah. Is there a parallel? Because the, the way The Sopranos plays out and unfolds, uh, many of the scenes are like stage plays. Do you agree with that statement? And do you see any connective tissue between the two types of medium? I don't know. I mean, I think great writing is great writing, and great stories are great stories. And I think that's going to hold up no matter where you, where you put it. I mean, I, I think, you know, the closest comparison I can make to a theatrical experience is that I think it was, it was very much an ensemble piece. Yes, there were certainly lead actors um, who, who really did an absolutely amazing job, but it was, it was very much about the whole company of characters. And, and that's, to me, what I love about theater. I love being part of an ensemble. 
So, so I think that 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 probably is the, the closest I, I could get to describing it. I asked what you loved most about the experience. Is there anything that you didn't love about the experience? Well, I was a, a stage performer before then. I was a dancer, and I I, I worked in theater. So it was very strange for me to be performing in front of cameras. I, I had done maybe a little film or two, but this was my first TV experience. And I didn't like performing on a set with cameras and a lot of people around and a lot of activity. I, I, it was just such a foreign thing to me. It was very distracting. I, I did get used to it. But but I think, and obviously, if you're going to work on TV, that's what it is. And, and um, but but I think it was it was. It was kind of um, startling to me at, at first, and I, and I kind of got used to it, but I can't say I ever really loved it. Mm. And, and also another thing is that, you know, working in theater, I, I always was telling a story from beginning to end. So it was also very different for me to kind of come in, say a line here, say a line there, didn't always know where it was going to fit in in the story. So it, it was it was a really unique experience for me. I, I'd never done anything like it before. From your vantage point, what are your thoughts on Gabriella? Well, um, I think Gabby was, is more of the old fashioned mafia wife, a lot like women that I grew up around. I think she was maybe not so much a, a tough fighter like Carmela or, or Rosalie or some of the other women. I think she was more traditional, the, the type of woman who who just liked having the lifestyle. She liked having her hair done and her nails done and having nice clothes and her husband giving her jewelry. And, you know, I mean, as I said, I grew up around that. So I saw how, um, you know, how those people lived. Sure. And um, and I, I always saw Gabby as, as that kind of a more traditional um, mafia wife. And I also thought Silvio was a more traditional kind of mob guy. You know, he sort of was a throwback to the, maybe the fifties or sixties and rat pack kind of guy. Mm. And I always, I, I always kind of saw Gabby as that. I, I think, um, I, I think that she could have been a funny character. I, I you know, obviously if she had been developed more, I, I think could have, could have been a little bit more comic relief. Sure. Cause I think he had that, uh, that possibility there. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's how I always saw, saw Gabby as someone who kind of just went with, with the flow, but also if she had to stand up, could do it. And you briefly touched on Silvio a little bit. My next question was your thoughts on Silvio. Was he content? Silvio, you mean content with, with his position and his role? Well, I think, and, and I have to say um, that I'm influenced by things I've heard Stephen say in interviews where um, he he always felt that Silvio was, very, he was the only one who didn't really want to be the boss. Mm. He liked being in that position of consigliere. And, and I think um, maybe, and I, I do agree with that because I think Silvio kind of liked life as it was, having the clubs and you know, hanging out and being in a position of power because he was the confidant to the big guy. Um, but he didn't have to have all that responsibility. The guy behind the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he liked that. And, and, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Stephen here because I know he said that, but I, I, I do agree with him. And I, and I do think that the character was maybe the only one who wasn't scratching and fighting to get 
to the top. I, I think he liked where he was. Do you have a favorite? I, I read somewhere, I don't know how recent it was, that you haven't watched an episode since the finale. Is that still correct? I have since. Um, because, I, I well, it was uh, it was just something that I, I don't know why I didn't continue to watch it. And then after after Jimmy passed away, I really did not want to watch it because mm. it was just very very upsetting. And then after maybe about a year or two ago, they started playing it a lot again. I started watching and I saw it in a whole different light. I think I kind of wanted that distance from it. And, and I saw new things in it, and I thought it was way funnier than I ever thought that it sure. was, even though it always was. So, yeah. So I, I've now watched some episodes. I, I, I have not sat and watched it start to finish. Um, it, it, it's just I don't like watching myself. You know, when, when I'm watching episodes or scenes that I'm not in, I'm perfectly happy, and I think it's great. But I don't really like watching myself, so that's another aspect of it. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, I, I have watched since. Do you have a favorite episode? Let me see. Um, I'm not sure if it's a favorite episode, but but I know that w- when I think of it, I think of what it was like filming certain things. And, and I, I love the uh, the episode where it was Livia's funeral or memorial service, mm. and, and we were all in, in the big room. And uh, I, I just thought the absurdity of that scene is, is something that is incomparable. I mean, one of the funniest <laughs> things. And also, we, we could not stop laughing. It took hours and hours and hours to shoot that scene because no one could control themselves. I mean, two people start, two people started it. And then after that, everyone was gone. So, you know, when I think back and I really like that, I, um, it, it's so hard to say because there, there's just so many. There's so many. Episodes. Sure. Yeah. Just, I'm yeah. always curious about what sits on the top of, uh, your head, you know, after all these years, are you referring to the scene in Tony and Carmela's living room where everybody's like yes. saying a peaceful memory? Um, and, yes. uh, and Carmela's dad, Hugh DeAngelis, uh, goes off that, that's says, what are you the minister of propaganda? Is that, is that the yeah, episode? Where exactly, he says that? exactly. Yeah. That is a very, yeah. very powerful scene. And I could probably tell behind the scenes, you guys were having a great time with that. Oh yeah. Like I said, it was uncontrollable laughter, and we we could not stop. But I, I loved the earlier episodes. I love the episodes that Livia is in. Sure, she's incredible. She's my favorite character on the show would have to say not an Uncle Junior. Um, so, but I so I think all the episodes she was in, I, I really really loved. It. But it, it, it's hard to pick one, and and it's hard to it would be hard to pick one that I didn't like. Right. Because there's something to to love about all of them. Had Nancy Marchand not passed away, you think that she would have stayed on the show? I think she certainly would have stayed for a while. I, I don't know how you know, the, they would have dealt with it writing. I mean, they may have had her killed off. They may have had her kill people. I, I, I don't know. But I think she would have stayed for a little bit. Because she was set up to be the ultimate antagonist to Tony. You know, that was she was villain numero uno until, um, until yeah, she passed away. It's crazy. Exactly. And to have a woman be the villain like that, I think very unusual. And I think it would have been so amazing to have her around. Like I said, I, I think they would certainly have kept her as long as she wanted to do it, as long as it fit the, you know, the, the storyline that they wanted to pursue. What are your thoughts on the ending? And has it changed or evolved over time? Have my thoughts changed? No. Um, they asked us this at the Emmys, the, the last Emmys we went to. Um, all the the press people asked us all the same question, and I, I will say what what I said then. I thought the ending meant that 
life could go on. There, there was there was no ending really. That Tony was either going to live his life this way, looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life, or he could have gotten killed in that moment. But but I think it was it was just that life did go on, only we're not allowed to see it anymore. Hmm. Well said. Does that, does that make does that make sense? I like your answer because uh, David Chase is famous for leaving things open ended. Nothing gets wrapped up in a bow, um, and it can really be whatever you want. I mean, it's uh, it's open ended. Things don't get yeah. Things don't get wrapped up nicely as like we would want them to. Yeah, in, in life that doesn't happen, and I, I don't think that David meant to have a shock ending so everyone could make up their own ending. But but he did do that. Um, in, in doing it this way. And, and like I said, I think it was, it's just open to whatever you, you want it to be. And, and it was that we had a window into these people's lives for a certain amount of time. And then we didn't have it anymore. The only thing that makes sense to me. In the course of doing this project, and I was, I agree with you for the longest time in the course of doing this project, I have come across this notion that, uh, or point of view that the audience is who dies. He's the audience. When the, when the screen goes to black, the audience is dead. Um, and there's yes, something the kind of, gets yeah, yeah the, it's something kind of mystical about that, but it's, a, it's kind of an interesting thought. You know, obviously no one can confirm or deny that, but I had never heard that before. And I kind of like it. I kind of, I kind of think there's a, there's some truth to that. Yeah, I did read that somewhere. I, I don't know if it was some sort of you know review, but it was very recent, and they said the audience got whacked. Yeah, and I thought, well, you know, I kind of, I kind of like that too, and, and that's sort of what I was saying is that you got cut off, like you weren't allowed to to look into this man's life anymore. Yeah, our time is up. Yeah, so it's kind of philosophical if you look at it that way, and and uh, it's interesting. From the outside looking in, this is kind of like my little Dear Abby moment for you. It seems that you and your husband have an incredibly successful collaborative relationship. What are some attributes or reasons why? Advice for couples early in their relationship kind of thing. Well, it's strange because I think we we do spend a lot of time apart. I think people think we're together all the time, uh, but we're not. He's off on tour all the time. I don't go with him. I'll occasionally go visit um, and, and I think that is one of the things that that makes it work for us because I, I don't know that either of us could be on top of each other twenty four seven and still find things interesting, fun. I, I think the things we have in common is that we obviously come from the same um, era in the sixties, which you know we both are, are still very very involved in. You know him musically. I have a sixties dance group. Um, you know I think we we share a love of music and 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 film and art and we're both very perfectionistic which can be good or bad when working together um i I think we have similar similar values about things i'm gonna finish up with a lightning round the first thing i'm gonna do is say a name and i'd like you to say the first thing that comes to mind james gandolfini oh beautiful david chase genius edie falco Warm. Sharon Angela. Crazy fun. Tony Kalem. Hope I'm saying that correctly. Also fun. Favorite book ever. Oh my goodness. They're, they're, uh, French Lieutenant's Woman, first coming to my Tropic of Cancer, Henry Miller. Favorite music right now. My favorite music right now is always what I listen to, Jimi Hendrix. 
Oh, good one. Favorite music of your husband, either solo or as part of a band? I will say I've been waiting for an older one on his newest album, Summer of Sorceries, the track that I have really fallen in love with. Do you and him watch anything together? And if so, what are you guys into right now? We don't watch too many things together because um, we have different tastes in, in TV. He he likes action things, loud <laughs> things. I, I like the you know, more serious, intense kind of thing. So I, I don't know what we watch together. I, I we, we did watch, um, oh my God, something recently. And I, I can't remember what it was. We Oh, Mrs. May, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, that's a great one. Um, yeah, one of the, my favorite. I, I didn't think he would like it, but he, he did love it. So we did watch that together. The actor who played Benny Fazio on the Sopranos was, is in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and he was on the podcast as well. Um, Max Casella. Max yeah. Casella. Yeah, it was great. Um, um, the final few questions are kind of like a, uh, I usurped them from James Lipton inside the actor's studio kind of questions. The Proust questionnaire, uh, your biggest fear. Claustrophobia. Being, being trapped. Biggest regret? I don't believe in regrets. When and where are you happiest? I'm happiest when I am in a ballet class or, or at the ballet, and also when I'm with my little dog. When and where are you least happy? In a crowd. Most treasured possession from the show? Oh boy, I have my my chair with my name on it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was that was a big, a big moment for me. It's like a parking spot. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't think I was important enough to have a chair, and I remember the the, the exact moment when I got it, and they gave it to I think a couple of the other ladies too. It was when we we did that movie screening scene. Yes, yes. Yeah, and we went outside, and they had the chairs, and then um, and I always remember that moment because I was so I was so shocked and so touched by it. So yes, I would have to say that. Finally, what's on your plate right now? Are you working on any projects or are there any any causes that you're involved with that you'd like to let listeners know about? Well, my theater company, which is called Renegade Theater, uh, we're always working on a lot of different projects. But we have a, a play that we're rehearsing now called Lovers and Other Strangers, a play from the seventies that we're bringing back. It's very funny, and Vincent Pastor is in it. Uh, he's he's my co-artistic director at the company. We do a lot of fun things together. We we teach an acting class together um, at HB Studios, and um, I'm always involved with a lot of music and you know arts programs for for younger kids. There's the Rocket Academy in New Jersey, um, which you know teaches rock music to to young very talented kids, and and they are amazing. Um, yeah, I, I do things like that. I, I like to get involved in, in, in keeping the arts alive. Maureen, this was very special. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. So nice talking to you. 